Hi, thanks for listening to our sermon podcast, Second on the Mount. I'm George Anderson, minister at Second Presbyterian in Roanoke, Virginia. I do not take it for granted that people sit in the pews on Sunday morning or listen to these podcasts hoping to hear something that connects them to God, to each other, to the world. And so I spend hours seeking the right word for the right time and said in the right way. I welcome your feedback. I encourage your sharing this sermon with anyone it might benefit. And I hope you'll return to this podcast again or come visit us for worship. We'd be happy to have you. Let us pray. Holy God, if there is anything said from this pulpit that is not according to your will, let it come to naught and do no harm. But if there is anything said that is according to your will, let it be heard as if sung by the voice of angels, that hearing we might believe, and believing, repent. Amen. What is truth? That is one of the most important questions asked in the Bible, and the one who asks it may not or might not even be capable of hearing the answer. The person asking the question, the region's Roman governor, Pilate, is in a position where he, in the words of Colonel Jessup in the movie, A Few Good Men, can't handle the truth. I mean, who besides Jesus can handle the truth during this horrible and dangerous last few days before the crucifixion? No one. Not the crowd who welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem. Not the crowd who now wants him killed. Not the religious leaders who are threatened by him. Not the political leaders who want calm and order. And not the disciples who swore that they would never abandon him. What are our chances of hearing the truth or seeing the truth? Let's listen to our reading from John's Gospel and let's try ourselves to hear what we find so threatening sometimes to hear, the true word of God. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Pilate asked him, What is truth? The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. False information travels further and faster than the truth. Dr. Seema Yasmin said that in a public radio interview. 
Dr. Yasmin switched careers, moving from a medical practice to medical journalism, and she specializes in investigating medical misinformation and disinformation. Here are three of the medical rumors that she addresses. Do flu vaccinations cause autism? No. Is MSG so often associated with Chinese restaurants addictive or unhealthy? No. Is there a correlation between poor teeth care and heart disease? Actually, that one is true because your mouth is a portal to blood vessels. Dr. Yasmin pointed out that the more shocking the medical myth, the more readily people are to believe it and, and spread it and make it go viral. She says this is partly true because shocking lies are just more interesting than boring facts. And shocking lies are usually passed on through stories, entertaining stories. And stories play on our emotions and create this whoa reaction. And we instantly want to share the story with others. And then it spreads. They are more believable because they are shocking and even entertaining. She went on to say that her research has borne out what other scholars and writers are trying to tell us that once someone believes a lie, it is harder to believe the truth than to surrender a lie that you already believe. That is because once we believe the lie, we invest ourselves in it. And then we have this greater desire to defend it than to examine it. Shoving facts at us doesn't help. Neither does being snarky or sarcastic or shaming us for believing what we do. That usually makes us want to dig in deeper because we're no longer defending the lie. We're defending ourselves. Now, some people's minds are more set than others. They can be quite open-minded until they take a stand and then it becomes personal. Their feet are set in concrete and they won't budge. You know, as hard as it is for individuals to be talked out of a lie they believe to be true, it's even harder for a group when others are there to back you up or turn on you if you disagree. When the stakes are high, they will cheer you on, reinforce what you believe, and be personally hurt if you change your mind. And it's even harder still when you get to the level of herd. What I mean by herd is a mass of people who have so invested themselves in some version of the truth that it becomes a part of their identity, their cause. It becomes a loyalty issue. Your instincts then is to stay in the middle of the herd for protection, especially when there's threat and the herd begins to stampede because to change direction then means you might get trampled. I mean, look how quickly the crowd that welcomed Jesus as a potential leader of an insurrection turns on him when he refuses to become one. And look at Pilate, wondering if the mob outside of his palace is going to trample him. Pilate is the Roman governor. He is supposed to have it within his power to impartially consider the evidence that is presented to him by Jewish leaders against this badly beaten man standing in front of him. What is that evidence? Jesus is no insurrectionist. 
Yes, a nationalistic mob had welcomed him into Jerusalem as someone with the, with the blood of King David in him, as someone who would do today what David did then, and that is unite Israel against all foes, foreign and domestic. Romans would be expelled and Israel would be returned to its former national glory. But Jesus refused to be that kind of king. And in fact, in his life and ministry, he never said or did anything to suggest that he was trying to overthrow Roman rule. Then and now, he will only say that if he is a king, he is a king of another realm, God's realm. And if evidence of his actual words and deeds of his life were considered, it would be clear that this other realm would be one in which Jew and Gentile, even Romans, would dwell together because all would be reconciled and at peace. Well, that mob, that nationalistic mob, is gone. But now there is another mob outside the palace. And they have been whipped into bloodlust frenzy by some priests and temple leaders and Herodians and Pharisees, Jewish leaders, both secular and religious, people often opposed to each other, but who are now united in their opposition to this one whose past popularity with the people comes across to them as a threat. And so they've spread the entertaining lies that Jesus wants to destroy the temple and that when he healed the sick, he was practicing sorcery. Now, those are some shocking and interesting lies that spread quickly. The situation is dangerous. So dangerous that this hearing before Pilate is not really about hearing the truth. Someone has to be sacrificed. Jesus? Pilate? Barabbas, someone, the mob has so overwhelmed the truth that Pilate's hands, which he later will wash, are really tied. Uh, he makes a weak attempt. He tells the mob that Jesus is not guilty of his crimes, but they roar that they would rather have the murderer, Barabbas, released than have Jesus go free. And that's when Pilate washes his hands of being accountable to the answer to the question that he asked earlier. What is truth? You know, when Pilate asked that question, I'm with F. Del Bruner in wishing that I could be there to hear Pilate ask it because I want to hear his tone. I mean, maybe Pilate's tone is cynical like I read it to be when I read the passage earlier. Maybe he is mocking Jesus for even suggesting that truth matters. Maybe he is one of those for whom facts and truth are irrelevant, like those who are quick to spread lies as facts if it suits their purposes, like publishers of scandal magazines or producers of programs for whom the question, is it true, falls far below other questions like, is it interesting? And will it sell? And if we say it, can we be sued? Or like some politicians in speaking to their base, abandoning fairness and facts. Or like internet trollers and gaslighters and conspiracy promoters on the internet whose aim is not truth, but simply to ignite a reaction and cause commotion. Maybe Pilate is cynical. Or maybe the tone is rhetorical. 
maybe Pilate just doesn't know what's true anymore. Maybe he once thought that being a governor meant that you get to lead rather than be led. That both the emperor above him and the people beneath him will trust his judgment. But he already knows that the mob outside is going to lead him because they have made up their minds and the emperor doesn't care what is true so long as order is maintained. So maybe Pilate is now the spokesperson for all those who once thought that they had a handle on the truth, but they just don't know anymore. Those who knew the rules about how to live, but then it didn't work out. Or those who felt betrayed by someone that they really trusted, a family member, a friend, their cause, their country, their God. Or maybe those who are hanging on to survive because simply survival is the only thing that makes sense anymore because they don't know what it's about. Or maybe Pilate's tone is genuine. Maybe in that moment, Pilate is seeking an answer, knowing that Jesus is innocent and maybe knowing something of Jesus' teachings and powerful acts of compassion. He wonders if Jesus knows something that he'd like to know himself. And while Jesus is standing there, while he is still alive, why not just ask him and then do what he needs to do? Whatever Pilate's tone, I mean, here's the tragic point. The truth is just not something Pilate can hear. Not now. Not with this dangerous and triggered mob outside. The reptilian part of the collective brain of the people has been engaged. I'm talking about that fight, flight, or freeze part of the collective brain that simply has lost the ability to calmly reason or give benefit of the doubt. We see that reptilian brain in charge right now. We see it in charge all the way through to when Jesus is crucified. Fight. Crucify him is what the leaders want and what they encourage the mob to demand. Flight. Jesus' disciples abandon him. Freeze. When Jesus is being questioned by the high priest, Peter is in the courtyard and he is asked if he is one of them, one of Jesus' followers. And Peter denies even knowing him. No one can hear the truth. The irony of the passage is that the truth is standing right there in front of Pilate and he can't hear the truth because he can't see it. The truth is embodied love and innocence standing there, beaten and bloodied, mocked and attacked and about to be crucified. The truth is that those who believe in God have abused God. That those who are supposedly about keeping the order and peace of Rome are about to kill an innocent man. The truth is that the leaders and the mob care so much about their version of the truth that they will sacrifice God's truth to be proven right. The truth is what Jesus is going to say later from the cross 
that the Jewish leaders who feel so threatened by him, that the Roman leader who feels so threatened by the mob, that the emperor who mistakes enforced order for real peace, that the mob who welcomed Jesus in Jerusalem as the leader of an insurrection, that the mob who now sees Jesus as a sorcerer and temple destroyer, and that they have justice in their hands simply because there are so many of them, that all of them don't know what they're doing. That is the God's honest truth that Jesus says from the cross, and it's hard to hear that they don't know what they're doing. None of them. That's painful to hear. So who's going to listen? Actually, Jesus says more than that. And in a way, it's even more painful to hear. More painful, but perhaps something that we can hear because it opens a door to get past the horror of the crucifixion of the truth of God's love. No, the truth is more painful than that because what Jesus actually says is, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. The truth is that the embodied innocence and love even as he is crucified, says not only the truth about us that we don't know what we're doing, but also says the truth about God, that God wants the exact opposite of what we want when we feel under attack. He wants those who have attacked to be forgiven, to be reconciled. I believe that that is a hard truth to take in, but we can. Not all, not all were human, but little by little, we can take in that truth as best we can. We are human beings, and our pride and our fear are always going to get in our way. But God's truth and reconciliation can gain some traction in our lives only if we are humble enough to realize that we don't have the truth when we shout for someone else's crucifixion. I'm going to risk stepping on some toes because I don't know of a single herd in our country that hasn't had members show a hesitation to admit the whole truth because it's too hard to admit, that refuses to face some facts and listen to some reason, even when relationships can be repaired even when some lives can be saved. I mean, how hard is it for some to accept ownership in a problem when it's so easy to assign blame to somebody else? And how hard is it for some who have developed a shame-based identity to give credit to themselves when they can so easily see their own faults? How hard is it for some in the Black Lives Matter movement to accept that the damage done to public and police property in Portland, Minneapolis, and Chicago was massive in the tens of millions of dollars? And then how hard has it been for some in the Stop the Steal movement to believe that there has never been any credible evidence that there was voter fraud and five people died at the Capitol and over a hundred police officers were injured because of unfounded and unproven claims? 
And how hard is it for some to accept that we don't know yet if the shooter in Atlanta specifically targeted Asians in the horrific shooting spree at the massage parlors and that we simply have to wait for the evidence? And then how hard is it to accept that regardless of the shooter's motives, that words do matter, that hate crimes against people of Asian descent have increased this year, and that the killing of eight Asians only magnifies that community's sense of being targeted and under threat increasingly. How hard is it for those who have decided that wearing masks is an infringement on their rights to believe that the pandemic would have been far less severe if masks had been worn by all when first encouraged? And then how hard would it be for some to trust to being in crowds maskless when it becomes clear that the virus, like other viruses, can be minimalized but perhaps will never go away? I could keep going. I don't want to. I felt risky enough to say what I said, but it's so easy to come up with a long list of examples that cut every which way. But I believe I've said enough because I think that I've already hit a nerve. I hope you know that I've tried to include my own blind spots in those examples. But being human, I know I'm still missing it. My point is, that to some degree, our passage from John's gospel is about all of us. We are all, to some degree, members of herds with some kind of groupthink going on in which we sometimes cannot see the truth even when it's standing right there in front of us, battered, bruised because of our certainty and sense of self-righteousness. Maybe. What we can see, though, is that at least we can try to do better by trying to be about the work of forgiveness and reconciliation that Jesus calls for from the cross. You see, you don't have to know the whole truth to begin being the church, to begin being the body of Christ. Yes, the imperfect body of Christ, but to begin being that body that works for reconciliation even when there's confusion. Because the place to begin is not learning the whole truth and then convincing the world to know what you know. The place to begin is humility, knowing that we don't have the whole truth and that some of the damage to God's embodied innocence and love is partly our own doing. Beginning with that humility, maybe... Little by little, we can hear a bit more of what we need to hear but don't want to or see what we need to see but don't want to, the truth about ourselves and about others that we so would rather cancel. I want to go back to Dr. Yasmin, the doctor-turned-medical investigator who said that lies travel faster than facts and that it's harder to believe the truth than to surrender a lie that you already believe. She was asked, well, what then can be done? I love the answer that she gave because what she said is in keeping with others that I have read who I think are really smart about the way we human beings are wired. It's also true to my experience. After saying that snark and sarcasm and shame don't work, 
that all those mocking and shaming social media posts that are supposed to wake up the world have almost no real positive effect and usually have more negative effect and don't get anything done. Dr. Yasmin said that what her experience has shown her is that those who buy into medical myths can change their mind sometimes when this happens. When those who know better stay in deep, empathetic engagement with them, knowing that they need to be respected and heard, even when they're wrong. If someone we love has completely bought into a medical lie, and of course I would expand that to be any lie that has become someone's doctrine, it is only on the basis of a relationship usually that they can move. Only on the basis of the kind of love that Jesus showed can someone begin to trust the voice of someone so that they can actually move away from the herd. And let's remember, the same must be said about us and our lives. We need others to break through to us when we have joined the stampede and have accepted as doctrine something that really isn't the whole truth and might even be wrong. We won't get anywhere unless we remain in relationship with those who can help us hear and see what we really do not want to hear and see. The message of the gospel that tells of Jesus' trial and crucifixion, the message of the season of Lent, is that we won't get anywhere until we realize that we, all of us, but we stand in the shadow of the cross, that we have a part in God's embodied innocence and love being abused, and that our path to salvation begins in our own forgiveness and redirection. The most important question for us to answer, if we really want to hear any of the answer to the question, what is truth? The more important question first is this. Were you there when you crucified our Lord? You know, to answer that question honestly is not to be shamed. It is to be liberated. Second Presbyterian, finding direction by following Jesus.